0: Hello, Nathan. Hello, Trevor. How's it going, my old boy?
1: Yeah, I'm all good, mate. How are you doing, boy?
0: Yeah, proper, mate. Proper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode, episode 16 of We Need To Talk About Movies podcast. And today, we need to talk about El Labyrintho del Forno.
1: Okay, sweet. Is that... Pan's Labyrinth to you, mate. I was going to say, mate, you're going to have to break that down. I'm common as fuck. (laughs)
0: Well it's the Labyrinth of the Fawn or the Fawn's Thorn's Labyrinth. Thorns. Oh the Fawn, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we call it Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Very special episode because this was one of our listeners' recommendations. So yeah, once a month we're gonna pick a film that the listeners recommend over our Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast and up at the top there's a pin post where you can put your suggestions for films so keep suggesting and next time next month we will choose another one because how we're going to do it now we've discussed this last week didn't we Nath we did week one I'll choose a film week two Naif will choose a film
1: as long as Trevor approves <laughs>
0: You choose what you want, mate. All right, week cool. three, you guys choose a film. And then week four, we said we was going to do like a rubbish film, you know, summit rubbish. But I think we could just do that as like rubbish or obscure or older films or documentaries, you know, anything a bit different yeah. that we wouldn't usually discuss. But we're going to start with a rubbish one next week. I'm ready for it. Are you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I, is this the one I've got to watch again? Yeah. Right, good. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm prepped, primed.
0: No matter how rubbish it is, every time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it because it's so rubbish, and I still enjoyed it more than Capone. (laughs) Wow. Um, That says... Yeah, tune in next week to see what that is. But uh, yeah, this week we are, yeah, we're basically, we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth, and Pan's Labyrinth was chosen by Cat Foster one half of tea in Valhalla she said Pan's Labyrinth one of my favorites give your peepers a treat right treat mate oh we need a treat for the peepers right treat for the old peepers the,
1: peep- the peepers the peeps yeah
0: so we didn't know if we were going to choose them at random but we was went through the list and we both sort of wanted to watch Pan's Labyrinth I haven't watched it since I first bought it years ago actually uh, do you ever seen it before
1: Nath? I had never watched it. So, uh, no, I tried to watch it before, but it was, um, I think I said to you, didn't I? It was one of those sort of moments in life where I was sort of just wanted to watch a film and didn't want to read a film. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, it looked good and the reviews looked great. So I really sort of, it was one I wanted to come back to, and this was the perfect excuse.
0: Uh, apart from that, I've asked people on the Facebook page again. What films they've been watching this week? Dean Harvey's replied, watch The 13th Warrior again this week after reading the book. Easy watching and up your street, Trev, in that it's only just over an hour and a half. I do like a short film. Um, and he says, also, you and Nath have kept me entertained on your podcast today on a long and what could have been boring road trip. Cheers.
1: Uh, you're, you're most definitely welcome.
0: Well, glad, glad you're there listening away and enjoying the podcast, because we certainly enjoy putting them out. And um, yeah, last week, our podcast was Jojo Rabbit, and that's done really well again. It wasn't, but it was two weeks ago. You know how this works by now, Nathan yeah. you? <laughs> I could never get my <laughs> head around it. But yeah, the podcasts are moving in the right direction, basically. Well, Nafe. that's good. Is that... Every week, we're getting more and more viewers on board. Awesome. It's great. So welcome aboard, everyone
1: yeah no no pressure to keep up the uh entertainment yeah
0: (laughs) just sweet um as i said yeah jojo rabbit was the last one to go live at this point and we had some people commented and said alex n said i like this director hunt for the Wilder people is great too yes it is yes it is joel mcdonald said taika is just superb really i don't think i'd watch i've watched anything of his and not enjoyed it just like Summit or Nothing. I've heard that they're really entertaining, yeah, Summit or you
1: Nothing. you know, I'm hearing some great things about them myself. You know, there's a, there's a nice bit of chatter about the internet, about uh, those two guys. Apparently, they're going somewhere.
0: And Not Another Adventure said one of my favourite movies. And Tim Ticket said, Have I died and gone to some strange parallel world? Looking forward to this one. I didn't quite get that reference, do you? Is that something he says in the I, film? Or? I don't know. I can't remember. Sometimes I read things and go, I don't know what that means. No, nope, mate. Am I weird? Am I stupid? <laughs> Should I know that?
1: I get it all the time with like IKEA manuals and stuff or instructions.
0: <laughs> anyway, Knife. Before we get on to talking about Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Have you uh, watched any films this week?
1: Oh, mate, let me tell you about the films I've been watching. Okay,
0: that's what I've asked you for. Well, so. right,
1: yeah, no, no, but let me tell you all about it because oh, i wish you would i, wish well, just I, tell I me. will i prepared for this and everything and uh, what i did is i watched films and i um i thought about them and made sure that i remembered them and definitely didn't forget them and i'm definitely not in any way padding until they actually spring to mind so i can remember <laughs> <them>. <laughs> <laughs> no right so uh i watched i woke up on saturday morning saturday morning sunday morning yeah and I was just having a bit of breakfast and so I thought I'd put a bit of YouTube on as I sometimes do. You do. And I noticed that, uh, something had come up with the outtakes and bloopers for one of the Deadpool films. And I was like, Oh my God, do you know what? I've only seen Deadpool 2 once. So I'm going to watch Deadpool 2. And oh, I was, it was the perfect setup to my Sunday. It's a hilarious film. Loved it. Cool. So I watched that. That was cool. And then, um, <clears throat> I also noticed on Netflix that they've recently uploaded red heat
0: oh is that uh arnold schwarzenegger film
1: it is an arnold schwarzenegger film
0: and jim belushi yes or is that yeah. it is that no, one is
1: it it is that one yeah and uh oh my god just like i can remember as a kid i was an arnold schwarzenegger fan i was an action action star fan with commando mm. predator the terminator films yeah you know Conan, maybe, to a lesser extent. Until, you know, in my youth and sort of, I don't know, narrow-mindedness, sort of things like Twins and uh, Kindergarten Cops started coming along. But anyway, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Red Heat. Yeah, you know, have a little trip down memory lane. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's fucking awful, isn't it? It is. Like, literally, the the opening scene is just any excuse – to have Arnold Schwarzenegger walking around in a loincloth. There's like loads of naked people in this Russian bath. <laughs> then unfortunately I can remember on the original version that I watched, there were subtitles for the bits where the Russian talking, but on Netflix, if you don't turn the subtitles on, there's no subtitles at all. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's, it's just all in Russian. I don't understand what's going on. Then some big man's putting a hot stone in Arnold Schwarzenegger's hand, and then he punches him through a window and then they're out, start bollock naked wrestling in the snow. And the sound effects over the top of the punches were just, fuck. It was just like, it was like Batman. Like, pow, slap, snap, crack. <laughs> and I was just like, what's going on?
0: But yeah.
1: Like, yeah, it was all good fun.
0: They, they sort of died a death, didn't they, those films? I mean, I've been watching a lot of the old 80s films on um, Disney Plus and... I must say, I watched Commando, and uh, it's good for a laugh. It's a bit silly, a bit of fun, in it? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But you could get away with it in the 80s, because it was a new genre. And that's actually, funnily, you should talk about that, because what I've watched this week is, um, it's on Amazon Prime, a documentary called In Search of the Last Action Hero. Right. And it basically talks you through the action genre, how it sort of started with the Kung Fu films, and then escalated into, like, Sylvester Stallone and Arnie. Uh, And up until, you know, now you get your... It doesn't have to be a muscle man anymore doing the action scenes. It's, you know, they don't have to know what they're doing, all these martial artists and stuff. It's people like your Matt Damons and your Denzel Washington, you know, actors who can do action with, like, shaky camera, and you can't see what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah. I think... um, But...
1: uh, What about the John Wick films?
0: Yeah, they mentioned Keanu Reeves in it. They didn't actually mention the John Wick. I've I've not seen any of them myself.
1: I think I'd recommend them to you, because it's, I think, sort of the fight sequences in them, they've really... It, they've done it differently. They've, I've, that's all I'll say. They've turned it around. It, it really makes it yeah. sort of a, a non-cheesy sort of action fight scene that you really enjoy watching. Yeah. I think it'd definitely be worth watching. And I think I'm fairly sure certain... In actual fact, don't quote me on this at all, but I am you know, I think I read somewhere that he'd done a lot of his own action stunts and, and sort of you know trained for yeah. it. But, you know, whatever.
0: And um, I've also been reading the book... It's called the Big Book of Bill Murray.
1: Oh, sounds like an awesome book.
0: Yeah, so it's well, it's not as good as I hoped because it's it's sort of all things in alphabetical order. I'd rather just read a story from start to finish. You know, the story of his life than sort of just all these little snippets in in alphabetical order. They, you know, you're reading about something or nothing later in his life. You know, you, the first film was Broken Flowers, and you think, well, that's in, late in his career. I want to read about that at the end, sort of thing. You know, you want to read it in order, don't you? But it doesn't matter. It's quite interesting, <laughs> but it's interesting. He lived. With it. He's an. Uh, he's a. An actor I have always had an interest in. He does what he wants, doesn't he?
1: Of course, he does. He's Bill Murray. He's Bill fucking Murray.
0: He's, he does. He did. Well, he, he always has. He did when they was making Ghostbusters. He just sort of said, "Yeah, I'll do it." but sort of undenared and then it wasn't until like the day before they were starting to film that he just finally turned up <laughs> <laughs> so it panicked them all a bit but apparently that's how he is but yeah that's I haven't really apart from that i've watched um finished watching the naked gun films we watched 33 and a third with of oh boy and then we've watched hot shots as well
1: oh brilliant yeah. I think if I get a chance, I'm going to watch the Hot Shots. They're great, aren't they? Oh, I feel like it's definitely something that needs to be done.
0: Good fun. Good fun. But, uh, yeah, that's about all I've watched. So, Nathan, would you like to join me in a conversation of Pan's Labyrinth? Well, yeah,
1: I'm here. Let's do it. Fuck it.
0: So, Pan's Labyrinth, for those of you who don't know, it's a Spanish... Yes. It's set in Spain, isn't it? But he's a Mexican director... Guillermo del Toro, known for films such as Hellboy, Pacific Rim, The Shape of Water. He won an Oscar for last year, didn't he? A couple of years ago I watched that. Out.
1: That was I quite enjoyed that. And
0: Blade Two. Yeah, I've, I've not seen it yet. I've not seen many of his films, to be honest.
1: I watched Pacific Rim. I, yeah. That was... Uh, it was all right. I, you know, if you like big fighting robots and monsters, you know, like a modern Godzilla type thing, it's, you know, it's mm. a bit of fun.
0: But, um... This film, Pan's Labyrinth, he says is sort of a sister film to a film he made called The Devil's Backbone, right? And it sounds like a similar sort of sort of thing, really. But I've not I never heard of that until he said about it, so I'm quite interested in to watch that now. That's about a 12-year-old boy whose father has died in the Spanish Civil War. He arrives at an orphanage, discovers the school is haunted and has many dark secrets he must uncover. Whereas Pan's Labyrinth is set in Spain of 1944, the, where the bookish young stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer escapes into an eerie but captivating fantasy world. That's the that's the, that's the plot. In it eerie though. In it eerie. Yeah, it's really it's really good. I forgot how brutal it was. You know how because <laughs> I sort of made the mistake of saying to my son. Oh Cohen, you'll be alright watching this like Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 and he come in like halfway through, so he just missed the bit where the the uh Captain Vidal is smashing that bloke's face in with a bottle, and I was like, I don't know if you should watch this, Cohen. And he sort of sat sat there for a bit. We got to the bit with the frog throwing up, and then he was he ran out of the room urging. <laughs> retching. So
1: Yeah, it's um it's not what I was expecting. No,
0: no. And I'd seen it and I still wasn't expecting it.
1: It's, um, it was quite a lot darker than what I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to lie.
0: But um, really well made. Really interesting, wasn't it? It was. It was gripping from start to finish. And you've got both storylines, like the two main storylines about the, the war and then the fantasy world. And when you're watching one, you forget the other. You forget what you think. Oh, I'm watching a war film. It sort of encapsulates you. It draws you in to that storyline, and you forget the other storyline. You're that gripped, and then when you're in the other storyline, the fantasy storyline, the same again. You're in, in, pulled into that story, and you almost forget the war is going on. Yeah,
1: and I think sort of that—that's uh, what they're trying to get across for her, isn't it? I mean, that she's trying to forget about the war and everything, and she's trying to get lost in that fantasy world. Yeah. Or but, or is it a real, oh, I don't know, you know, I just, at the end of it, I wanted to believe that it was real.
0: Well, this is the thing, I don't think it's, yeah. oh, is it fantasy, oh, it's just in their head and, you know, children playing and what have you. but this is, you think that's how it is, but then at the end it's like things start, the two worlds do merge, don't they, you know, and they interfere with each other, and yeah they both they both react with each other don't they the the fantasy world and the the living
1: world it's um like i said i didn't know i had a, a rough idea of what the film was about but i didn't know going in exactly how sinister it was and i think the brutality of what's going on in what we're calling the real world within the story of the film yeah it just works so much harder to make you want to believe that the alternative was a reality, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you say, sort of uh, the chap getting punched in the face with that bottle and then his old man, uh, you know, getting shot. And then sort of the the captain sort of rifling through the bag and finding that there were rabbits in there to suggest yeah, they that they were... were
0: hunters and not the gorillas. Because uh, if you haven't seen the film, you shouldn't be listening to this. Go and watch the film because we are going to spoil it. But, you know, it's... If you need a recap, because you've seen it and you can't quite remember what's going on. Ophelia is the little girl and she's, her and her pregnant mother arrive at, it's like a mill, isn't it? Yeah, they call it it a mill, mill. don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And her stepfather is Captain Vidal and he's a fascist. And yeah, he's very brutal. And they're in the middle of sort of having a bit of a, there's gorillas in the woods, isn't there? Not monkeys, but uh, militants, rebels. And there's, like, skirmishes going on, isn't yeah. there? But, yeah, he is a real brutal character, isn't he? But he's he's that meticulous and precise. He's obsessed with his watch, which is, you know, it's his heirloom, isn't it? It represents his, his father and the control that his father has over him. Yeah. And he's so encaptured in the precision details, like the cleaning of his watch and, like, all the intricate plans he's making in the woods – and he's always got his eyepiece in, hasn't he? You know, it's that precise. Yeah. But he focuses so much on the smaller details that he forgets he's lost the bigger picture. Yeah,
1: he, he does um, fixate, doesn't he? But then the thing is, is you know, his attention to detail, uh, you know, serves him for his purpose as well, doesn't it? You know, because, mm. you know, he, he notices um, that the lock hasn't been forced, you know, and then there's, there's you know, the sort of, attention to detail that would make a great detective
0: yeah you yeah. know
1: he, he is uh, a nasty piece of work and sort of you think that um ophelia's mother is is a lovely uh tender caring woman yeah you know that's just just trying to uh, and you get the sense that she's only married him for some sort of security for her and her daughter and uh you know he's got this wonderful sort of family sitting there waiting for him and he, he can't tear himself away from what he's doing to go and spend time with him. And then he just seems obsessed with the fact that she's going to give him a son to carry on his name. Like he carried on his father's name.
0: That's isn't it. it. That's all he sort of cares about, isn't it? It's carrying on his legacy yeah. as it was. But yeah, you've another thing that you noticed is that he's, his obsession with this watch as he's working on it at the beginning, when you see he's got the back open and he's like, Cleaning it with the cotton buds, isn't yeah. it? Del Toro says, it, the the director's commentary, that he's placed him in the barn, like behind the workings of the mill. So he's got the cogs of the mill behind him. So it's like he's just in, it's like he's in the watch, you know? His, the watch is everything to him and he's yeah. encapsulated in that. It's it really interesting watching that the director's commentary, and you just get why he's made all these decisions and what what he's put into the shots. It's pretty amazing, really, really, really well thought out. A proper artist, I think. Yeah, um, and you know?
1: that's that's something that comes across in the whole film. You know, in every scene, the characters like the fawn and like the the beast at the banquet. You know, all of those sort of details and the way it was done you know, it was so beautiful. Like the banquet looked like a combination of every still life painting I've ever seen.
0: Well, exactly. And even when she's walking down that corridor, it's like, you recognize that. I don't know art, but you can tell he's all these shots are inspired by like works of art, aren't there? You know, yeah. a lot of what he does.
1: It's, that's, you know, that's why it is such a feast for your peepers, isn't it? Right. Well,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, she's when she first arrives and we first see the labyrinth it's not even night time you know it's just sort of a, ruins in the grounds of the mill um so it's not it doesn't seem special yeah. she sort of meets it matter-of-factly just investigating and then this is when she meets uh mercedes who is a member of the staff at um captain vidal's base and she's right away you know that she's She's probably the, the insider helping the rebels when she's overlooking the maps. Yeah. When she comes in to pick up some glasses or pick up something, isn't she? And he's there talking to his his generals. And, yeah, she's looking overlooking the maps. So you can see she's got an interest. And then you see the doctor as well is passing off parcels to her. And you realise then that these two are sort of fighting for the rebels – Playing their part within the grounds, and say, and um, Ophelia keeps spotting her doing these things, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's in on that secret, right like from the worst. Go, is not she?
1: She doesn't want to create any more aggravation. You know, she. You can see that she just Ophelia just wants some sort of peace, and I think that's that's why she's almost searching for or believing in this alternative world. Yeah.
0: And she also, she doesn't like the captain at all, does she? And, you know, there's a part where her mother says, you know, as soon as she meets Mercedes and she's like, oh, come on, your father's waiting," And she's like, he's not my father. He's not my father. And she says it a couple of times, doesn't she, to yes. really reiterate her point. So she would sooner side with Mercedes over the captain any day. And when... um. Ophelia later on has like gone out and she's got all her dress muddy and her mum's like, "Oh, you've really disappointed your father." And she goes, "You mean the captain?" And she goes, "Yes." And then she just grins, doesn't she, when she's in the bath?
1: Yeah, yeah, happy yeah.
0: to have upset him. She's got no love for him at all. But yeah, you're drawn into this story. That's like I say, it's a compelling war story, isn't it? Before you, well, even though you've already met like the the little mantis thing that's flying about
1: yeah that that see when at the start where she picks up that stone and she puts it in the um or tries to repair the face in the stone and then that that little bug comes crawling out i was like oh my god that that just in itself creeped me out it's not because of the shape or, or the nature of it but just the size of it you know yeah and uh it's just Oh, it just started reminding me of sort of horrible alien films, like you know what I mean? But
0: uh, do you know what it reminded me of? Go on. Men in Black. The opening credits of Men in Black. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah.
0: But um I can see that. Yeah, so this little bug sort of follows her um back to the the house and then you realise that it's it's actually something to do with this magical world and you're thinking is it in her fantasy because she loves books and that's all you've met of the magic world yet isn't it yeah of the fantasy world uh but you're more drawn in this this war story and I must say the chap who plays Captain Vidal he, Sergio Lopez was was absolutely brilliant they're, they're all brilliant in the roles aren't they but he is a real a real bastard you which. hate him yeah yeah
1: yeah and um, it doesn't take long for you to get that feeling towards him either, does it? He's so cold right from the very start. Yeah. And you can see that sort of um, it's it's really clever how it's done. When when, he offers, when his wife's getting out, Ophelia's mother's getting out of the car. Yeah. And uh, she's like sort of happy to see him. And sort of there's this gesture, right, of the wheelchair, which is like, you know, don't overexert yourself. He's trying to care for his wife. But it's done in such a way where it's almost like, it's a command that will be obeyed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just sort of right from the very moment, the first thing you see of him, which is like this almost kind gesture, which is marred by the the way it's delivered, you know? It's, uh, yeah, it's really sort of well done how you instantly start to dislike yeah.
0: him. And the first thing he does when she gets out of the car is he goes over to her and doesn't he touch the baby before he even greets her? He touches her belly, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's cause... more in that. And, like,
0: before they've turned up, the first thing you see of him is him looking at the watch, isn't it? Yeah, late. yeah,
1: yeah. It's, like, they're 15 minutes late. Yeah. And you
0: know that she's late because she's been sick? Because the baby's making her sick. Yeah. She's not having a very good pregnancy. And then he's making her travel across the country Yeah, to be with him. So... But then the doctors sort of... Uh, it was wasn't it his his insistence that the, the chair was brought out for her um but i've sort of thought that watching it back this wasn't mentioned in the the commentary but watching it back with the commentary the, you see the mum and then he sort of points across and you see the doctor and the empty wheelchair right and then when you watch the film later on the doctor is killed yeah at the same time that the mum dies they both die within like the same scene don't they
1: yes yeah yeah yeah
0: and then it ends on the empty wheelchair so it's like that shot is foreshadowing what we're about to see yeah you know that's how i saw it it's like watching it back ah that's empty because she dies and he's gonna die with her very clever how it's thrown together and there's some wonderful shots in it the, the first night that the mum and Ophelia share in the, the house, and they're both in the bed just talking, that shot is a continuous shot for like nearly three minutes and it starts as a wide shot and it creeps in and it goes to Ophelia talking to the baby reading telling the story. yeah. yeah. then it goes into the into the room and you see the baby and then it goes you know and all this time there's no real splice. it's sort of fluid movement. Very much like Birdman, you know, where because that was all one continuous shot, but you hardly noticed, do you? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, Birdman, Christ.
0: Yeah, and then that's the first sort of real fantasy bit, isn't it, where she's telling the story about the rose on the mountain. Yeah. And then it comes back, and then that's when she sees the insect again isn't it her mum falls asleep and the insect turns yeah, up
1: yeah and you see when they're travelling in the car and so for the, your introduction to the to the whole film is this story this fairy tale being told to you isn't mm, it yes and then you meet Ophelia in the car with her mother and they're talking about the books and the fairy tales and the stories that she likes to read and then she sees this little bug and this bit where she goes back and tells her mum that she's seen a fairy right yeah and we all know that she it's not a fairy it's a bug and yeah. and this is the thing that makes you think oh, it's just a fantasy, it's in her head, isn't it? You know what I yeah. mean? Because you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, she, she's really obsessed with fairy tales and fantasy. She's seen a bug, thinks she's seen a fairy and gone home, imagined it's a fairy and gone home and told, or and told her mum she's seen a fairy. And that's, you know, it sets you up from the very beginning that it is this fanciful fictional world that she's just imagining, doesn't it? But then yeah. as, as the story progresses, you get drawn more and more into it it being real, don't you? Yeah,
0: you do. And I mean, even at this point when the the, the mantis bug thing turns up you think oh is she imagining this or has it really followed her you know um, and then she shows it the fairy in the book and then it metamorphosizes into a fairy takes on the fairy form so you're thinking you are thinking it's in her imagination and she's just off in this fantasy world but then it leads her down into the labyrinth and where she meets the fawn.
1: not David Bowie
0: not David Bowie no I <laughs> I said to my mate that I was watching um, Pan's Labyrinth uh, at work, and he's like, oh, that's David Bowie, isn't it? And I was like, no, I don't think it is. He goes, yeah, he's in that. And I was watching it, thinking, oh, it's David Bowie. <laughs> and then I realised, oh, he thinks it's fucking Labyrinth. <laughs> but I was actually watching the film, thinking, where's Bowie coming to this thing? <laughs> Before I realised, oh, hang on.
1: No, no, it's just the guy I work with is <laughs> Oh uh, so,
0: dear. Yeah, he's not in it. But um yeah, the fawn
1: I I gotta be honest with you. Yeah. I don't think David Bowie would have bought anything to it. No. I think it was alright as it was. Yeah, it didn't
0: need Bowie, did it?
1: No. Nah. No. Nah. Not this one. No. Nah. In his fucking ridiculously tight leotard trousers.
0: <laughs> Are you okay, Hoggle? <laughs>
1: And, you know, I think it benefited from not having a bog of a tonal stench.
0: Yeah. I think it benefited from not being labyrinth. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Should, um, we,
0: should we compare the two? <laughs> is this going to be a, a Pans Labyrinth Labyrinth comparison? <laughs> well, there's a girl and she's got a baby brother. So there's your first comparison.
1: Yeah. And there's a labyrinth.
0: And there's a labyrinth, and there's mythical creatures. Yeah. No. Um. So, uh, where was we, Nathan? So yeah, and as she go- as she goes into the the labyrinth, I thought the moonlight, you know, the, the it's all lit, real pale blue, but it looked really effective moonlight, you know. Yeah. Just everything drenched in that pale. And I mean, you've seen it done in films, but it just almost was spot on. You know, I've spent a lot of nights up on Dartmoor when there's no other light other than the moon. And it really casts this weird blue light, this sort of cold, sterile sort of blue light. And she meets the fawn and he's all, he's real stiff because he's sort of been, he's only just woken up after thousands of years, isn't he? Isn't that what's meant to have it, meant to have yeah. gone on
1: and i i gotta say that i think the fawn for me was one of the best characters in the whole film right because you just you can't get a read on him at all can you no
0: that's it and they even say that don't they they even uh i think it's mercedes isn't it, it says oh, never trust a fawn or something yeah actually.
1: my mum told me never to trust a fawn yeah and it, you know it, it's like which it sows the seed of doubt in ophelia's mind doesn't it when she's talking to him. Yeah, and ours. Because he's so sinister looking in ways as well. You're just like, is he trying to trick her into something? Is he luring her down there with some sort of story? And then it's going to be a trick. And it just keeps you guessing, doesn't it? I love it. I just, I thought it was really well done. Yeah. And a real great interpretation of a fawn as well. You know? What was his name, Mr. Tum- Tumnus?
0: <laughs> well, that, you, you laugh, but there is loads of references to other books and other... Um
1: other forms.
0: Yeah, other fancy books and you know, the dress she's wearing when she goes to see the frog is just looks like uh Alice in Wonderland, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. At the end she's got the red slippers on and I'm sure there's more, but they was the two that I sort of picked up on or that made me think, you know, he's not afraid to reference all these other other fantasy stories from history, you know? And he does actually say that when we first meet Captain Vidal and Ophelia goes to shake his hand, he just grabs her hand and says, that's the wrong hand. And that was taken from, which I knew, because I've recently watched it, was um, uh, David Copperfield, Charles Dickens, David Copperfield. Right, yeah. So, like I say, he's borrowed from literature, he's borrowed from, from art, but then another thing that he pointed out in the director's commentary is that the fawn's head and the tree everything is based on uh, how do i say the woman's anatomy <laughs> do you know what i mean the the, the
1: the female reproductive organs yeah
0: not the it's the, like
1: the, the internal like the womb and the ovaries yeah
0: the womb and the ovaries and that and it's the same as when she opens the book and the blood yeah spews in the book doesn't it and it, that's the shape that it comes out but it's the same the shape the tree is you know a blatant vagina it's got this big hole in the middle that she sort she's sort got walks. a
1: massive great gash in it, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she sort of walks back into that to be sort of reborn doesn't she you know it's all to do with birth and rebirth and right her being reborn as this uh, this like, queen yeah this the princess. queen yeah, princess yeah, yeah. of the, the underworld and the fawn, I think he's, as well, he's like, he's all, almost got like barnacles on him, hasn't he? And moss and it's like he's pulled himself out of the stone after yeah, thousands of it, years.
1: It was a bit sort of almost uh in a very, very loose sense. It was a bit tree beard from yeah, Lord of the yeah. Rings, wasn't it?
0: And he was like slow to move. But as the film goes on, it gets fresher and he, he starts to look cleaner and more... More fluent in his movements. He's very jerky and twitchy at the beginning, isn't he? A bit like uh, Jeff Goldblum was in The Fly, Nathan. Yeah,
1: yeah. Very Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. But he's, um, you just can't help but think he's a bit of a trickster as the film progresses. And it, it really did. That one statement from Mercedes just really just changed the way I looked at the film from that moment yeah. on. And I know that's yeah. what it's meant to do, but it just done it so well.
0: The, he's a very ambiguous character. And the film is ambiguous. And I mean, although I, there's nothing in there to suggest by the end that the fantasy isn't real. At the same time, it's never spoken out that it is, is it? You know, it's never defined in that way. Only what we've been presented with, but it's never...
1: There's no clarification either way at all, is there? No
0: clarification. And it's good that it keeps you, you know, it could you could be open to it interpretation. It's what makes a good film, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I just... The the wartime story that tracks alongside the fantasy story is so horrid and bleak that, you know, and, and the end of the story, everything at the end is so horrid and bleak that you just, you long for it to be real. You know, there's a proper longing yeah. within you for for it. to uh, You want this poor little girl that didn't ask for any of this shit going on in her world to find a better place yeah. to be, don't you? Yeah.
0: But she didn't want to go. She said to her mum, why did you have to marry him? And she said, oh, you, I didn't like being alone. And she's like, you wasn't alone. You had me. And it all goes fucking tits up, doesn't it? So the fawn gives her these missions and the first one, as I mentioned earlier, is the frog, which is where my son come in and he's like, oh, what is this? And uh, <laughs> as the frog like... She's got to get the three stones inside the frog, isn't she? Yeah,
1: which is just a really random. It's like, oh, there's a frog that's killing a tree and you've got to climb in underneath it and get these three stones inside the frog to get a key out of its belly. Oh that old chestnut. But yeah, no, it's you know, it is so fantasyful, uh, the way it's done. And then sort of when you finally see the frog, oh my god, it's revolting, isn't it? It
0: is disgusting, yeah. And um it's a, it's a mix between puppetry and CGI isn't it? Right. And it sort of lives in the bowels of these trees but they had actually built a really extravagant set for it. Right. To move the puppet through but then the puppet was so big they couldn't move it. So they just set it in the tree. Yeah. Like rather than have this big area for it. But it didn't it doesn't lose anything for it I don't think.
1: It, that scene didn't need to be any more than it was. You know, no. done everything. it everything. dark,
0: it was dirty. You felt that it was gross for her getting there and she had all the mud all over her face and the bugs crawling over her and she keeps flicking them off and she's just absolutely covered in mud. Um And I could see my son wasn't enjoying just that. And then when the bug was crawling on her face and then the, the frog licks it off and there's all the slime and then it, that's when he first retched. Yeah. I noticed him go... And then uh, when she lifts up the stones in her hand with the bug, and then it licks all the stones up, and then just starts regurgitating its insides out. Just- <laughs> oh,
1: it's, yeah! It just literally—it's like the whole thing turns inside out on her, isn't it? For its mouth, it's disgusting.
0: Yeah, and um,
1: I mean, it's not. Don't get me wrong; it's not Jeff Goldboom the fly disgusting. <laughs>
0: no, it's not. I, I could, I manage this. I was alright at this and I was I was cruel really, laughing at my son as he's <laughs> as he's urging and then he ran out of the room and I said, Yeah, I don't think you should watch this Cone. <laughs> and then uh about ten minutes later his mum comes down going, What are you what are you showing him? What's he watching what is this? <laughs> I told him not to watch it. But uh Yeah, so the missions have started. She passes the first one, Flying Colours, didn't she know? Yeah.
1: So, so uh, the th- the faun gives her this book, doesn't he, that, that directs her through the three missions? Yeah. Because the second time she goes to open it to look for the second mission, this is when she opens it and it's stained with blood inside. And and rather than being a mission, it's almost like a warning, like a very brief warning of of something about to happen to her mum. And then immediately her mum starts. Yeah, it's like
0: a prophecy almost, yeah. isn't it? Because it's like we say, it's in the shape of like the ovaries and the. And then it just fills the page, and then you hear her mum just... She shuts the book, and then you hear her mum screaming, and when she goes back in the room, her mum is covered in blood. Yeah. And Summit is not right with the baby. I mean, she's already told Mercedes right at the very beginning that my mother is sick with baby. Yeah. Have you noticed, she says, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, things ain't very good, and the doctors put her under, put the mum under, sedate her, and they've. Ophelia has to go... And sort of live in a different part of the, the, the mill. So she's living in like a, a dank dank little room all on her own. And Mercedes is there looking after her, you know, you get that Mercedes is a real good character. She's like the mother that's that her mother's not being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's not for lack of her mother trying. Her mother just wants everything to be right. She wants to impress her husband and to please her husband and she's got these sort of dream of a big good family but then obviously she's not you can't believe that her mother knows the sort of the depth of the depravity of her, her husband and how just how brutal he is no she
1: she i think you know and even if she does know she's choosing to ignore it um it's like she's choosing to ignore a lot of things to chase this this dream and i think you know you you want to believe that she's she's making these decisions with ophelia's best best interests at heart as well, you know? Yeah. Because she knows that, uh, as she is on her own, that she can't support herself and her daughter and give her all the things that she wants to. And she's sort of tried to marry a man with rank uh, and prominence to sort of yeah. make things easier,
0: you know? But do you think it's like possibly when they're at the, the, the meal, and he sort of sat at the head of the table and he's got all the town folk and then his his generals and his soldiers like the top ranking soldiers. Yeah. And then one of them says, Oh, how did you meet the captain? And she's like, Oh, my old husband was a tailor and he was one of our customers. And you just sort of think, well, is there a history there Has he bumped the the husband off? Yeah. 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 Cause he worked as he worked this out so that he's with her, you know, because you, you, because he sort of hushes her up, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. You'd believe it of him as well. Wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. To get what he wanted. Yeah, you could quite believe it. Oh, that, and then someone asked him about the watch and he just, they say, oh, we heard about your father, you know. Oh. They said that he smashed a rock, he smashed his watch on a rock so people would know what time he died. And uh, he's like, my father didn't have a watch. I mean, you know he did because he's, He's holding it all the time. He's always got this broken watch, is not yeah,
1: he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, every scene you see the watch, it's got a smashed lens on it, isn't it? Yeah. And you're like, right, okay. And then, and then this is where the, the prominence of the watch sort of starts to get explained, yeah. isn't it?
0: But you you think, well, he's denying it for some reason. It's like it's none of their business. No one needs to know about him.
1: Yeah, almost like um, like he doesn't want to be... Accused of living in his father's shadow almost or, or something, isn't it?
0: Possibly, yeah, yeah. But then that dinner scene as well, it's sort of... It, there's a lot of things mirrored throughout this film where something will happen and then a bit later on, it's, it's almost, you know, the way that that table is set out and he's filmed at the head of the table and it's all the same angles as when you meet the pale man in our next mission where she's got to go and... You unlock the thing and retrieve the, the dagger, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all
0: like you know, same sort of length table, and it's all filmed from the same side. Um, and he's sat in the same position as the, the pale man, isn't he, at the top of the table? Yes. But that pale man, you know, that's one of the bits that sort of stood out for me from watching it
1: last. You time. know, so she she gets in. She opens the doorway with a little piece of chalk, doesn't she? And she crawls into this room and she's got the fairies to guide her. And, you know, they take her through the room. She's been told, you know, that you're not allowed to eat anything from the banquet. Yeah. And you, you very quickly get the idea when she's in there looking at all. And this is the other thing, uh, that highlights the, the difference between the life that she's living in the real world. and you know, the possibilities of fantasy, isn't it? Because all through the film, they're talking about rationing and ration cards and hoarding all of the food and keeping it in this store. Yeah. And she's, you know now like you say she's living in this dank little room away from her mother and she goes into this plush banquet hall with this really long table with all this wonderful mouth-watering food all over it and she's been told she's not allowed to have any yeah and she she goes through and the fairies sort of take her over to where these three little slots are on the wall which she's seen in her little guidebook and she puts the key in one and she opens it up and she gets the dagger out and you think, right, okay, yeah, that's cool. And all the whole time, this white man isn't moving. And you're like, right, okay, this is cool. Just don't upset the status quo. Just get <laughs> out of there. And then at this point, when Ophelia turns around and grabs a grape, I'm like, no, 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 no. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, no,
0: no. you are. It's You do think that was a moment of weakness there. And, I mean, obviously, it needed it to sort of bring some tension. I mean, it would be a shit scene if she just walked in and out. Yeah. And it was all done. Um, but it certainly takes a darker turn once he does eat that and he i mean he sat there with eyes she picked up one of his eyeballs isn't it? eyeballs on the front of his plate yeah and i mean you'll you recognize the, the the picture it's on the cover and i remember it at the time being in the trailer i think but yeah he picks up the eyes and puts them in his hand and he has to put his hands in front of his head to see yeah but then he he fucking eats the fairies doesn't he yeah bites the head off one of the fairies and it's yeah you're like oh god
1: it's good it go south quite quickly doesn't it <laughs> yeah it's um yeah another
0: moment where i was like yeah i'm glad cohen's not watching this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, it is brutal and then you know you're just like you know any little girl Watching some horrible demonic beast eating fairies in front of her is going to be mortified. It's a real, uh, you know, heart in mouth sort of situation, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it's tense. But it just looks looks awesome, doesn't it? I mean, that's the pale man is like, there's all the weight, just all the skin. It's like he's a fat man in a that's lost loads of weight isn't it? it's all flappy skin hanging off in his arms and frozen for like a thousand years but lost all the weight but not the skin (laughs) grim isn't it
1: yeah 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 it's like you sat there like this skinny horrible sort of flappy wastage of a being sat there at the end of this table that's just covered in the most glorious food you could imagine and it's just like right okay so the food Is a trap so that whatever comes in is tempted to eat the food and then he's gonna eat that. And it's just like oh it's just a horrible, sinister undertone. Yeah. But you know, she gets out just about. She does, just uh, about
0: and it's a long time between that point and the point that the fawn comes back. And so before this we've already the fawn's already been there, hasn't he? And given her the, the route
1: that's right. She, she basically, expla- he asks why she hasn't been back to carry out more of the tasks. And she explains that her mother's not well. And then he, he gives her that root thing to keep in cow's milk under her mum's bed. Yeah, so it's the mandrake root, isn't it? Right.
0: And, I mean, that's another thing that she puts that under her mother's bed in the milk. And they say you've got to give it three drops of blood. And it makes her mother better. Yeah. So this is when you're first like, wow, these things are... It's got to be real because it's affecting the real world. And the Doctor comes along and like going to give her some medicine and she's like, oh, I don't need it. I think I'll be all right. And he's like, I don't know how, but that's amazing, isn't it? The Doctor's a really good character as well. When he when I first saw him at the beginning, I thought he was going to be like the little sadist Doctor, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. he was going to be like a little Gestapo member, like the little chap in Raiders of the Lost Ark or something because he's dressed in black and got this little fastidious beard and a little wire rimmed glasses but he's actually he's actually a good guy you know it starts off at the beginning um with mercedes picking up the tile in the barn and it's out of focus behind and you're expecting someone to come in and catch her and then you see someone but it's the doctor yeah he's like it's only me and then they go together don't they to go and find the rebels and there's that one who's got the bad leg yeah that and he has to cut the leg off and you don't see it but it's just suggested just quick enough isn't it you yeah just see it, you
1: just get like that first push of the sword didn't you and then it cuts and it's just like yeah. oh no yeah that, even yeah. that was enough you know what i mean enough's
0: enough mate isn't it?
1: enough is enough bro
0: but yeah the rebels as well i noticed is when ophelia first sees the labyrinth and there's lots of like sort of dew in the air not dew what is it like pollen isn't there and yes yeah floaty bits in the air and that sort of follows the, the rebels around as well in their scenes when they're out in the woods. Yeah. And they're almost like woodland creatures that just sort of emerge from behind the trees and things. When Captain Vidal goes up and they find the lottery ticket and then they find oh the, an- the medicine. The antibiotics, yeah. The yeah, antibiotics. Yeah. And he's shouting for them. And then they go. And they was there, right there, watching them. And they just all emerge from the woods. And they're almost like sort of like elvish In there, the way they um maneuver the woods and things, they are he's trying to starve them out of the woods basically, isn't he? So now he's got all the food and that coming to him, and then he's rationing it. So, no, there's just enough for families to live on, so they haven't got any to spare. So, they they blow that train up, don't they?
1: Yes, yeah, and it's a
0: diversion, it's really good. He goes there, and what did they steal? They haven't stolen anything, and then he's like, shit. Realizes end, doesn't he? Yeah, that they're down the other end. But yeah, it's a big shootout. A lot of them die, and then he gets the the the, the hostage. Oh, in the barn.
1: Yeah, that whole scene, man. I mean, you don't see it, but you see the the other side of the torture, and and the way he talks to the hostage, the way he's explained to him. At first, I'm not going to trust you. Yeah, but when I, you know, and then he's going through the tools, explaining that you know by the end. Uh, you know, you'll be in so much pain and I'll get to using this tool yeah, and that Yeah, he's sort
0: of making it... Yeah, he's not saying, oh, I've got ways of making you talk, as such as he's...
1: Yeah, it's like, you're you're going to talk, that's a given, but, you know, I'm only going to believe you when I get to the latter stages of this. So you can say whatever yeah. you want at the start, I don't give a shit, I'm not going to believe what you're saying until we get to this tool, which is really going to be excruciating. All right, sweet, cool. Yeah. It just, the way the dialogue is given you didn't need to see any of it no
0: no and the makeup afterwards is that fucking impressive that you and his hand just looks all fucking gnarled oh yeah it looked horrible his face is just swollen and he's just drooling and it's not very nice but um even before he's like because the chap's got a, a really strong stutter hasn't he which we've established earlier on when he's trying to read the newspapers yeah isn't he? yeah yeah. And they're basically reading about d-day aren't they and yeah the uh allied invasion so things are turning they're at that turning point in the war but they're still thousands of miles away from it i suppose aren't they and just having to keep their battle up but um yeah, so we know he's got the stutter and then Vidal says, like, if you can count to three without stuttering, I'll let you go. And it's just so painful just to watch him. And you know he's not going to. He's like, he can't even get number three out, can he? He manages one and two and then he's just, and you just, that's how sadistic that that bastard is. Just giving him false hope just because he knows he's just going to fail. This scene ties in with the mother under the bed, doesn't it? Because the doctor comes in. And then he finds the antibiotics on the doc in the doctor's case and then he's like, That's the same bottle. And then he goes up as Ophelia's putting more blood into the, the milk of yeah, the Yeah, the, the mandrake, mandrake fruit. fruit.
1: But prior to this, she's explained to the Ophelia's explained to the fawn that some of the elves have died and that she ate some of the fruit and he's really bitter and angry and disappointed that she um, disobeyed what he said. Yeah, and then but the mandrake root, like you say, it doesn't seem to be working, or it's not alive, or there's not moving. There's something wrong with it. And then you think, you know, has the fawn sort of removed the power of the mandrake root? Yeah, because because she'd failed him, like you know,
0: you know. And then he catches her putting the mandrake root underneath, and he's like, stinks it. He's like, what? What is this? What are you doing? And then he gives it to her mother, and then her mum throws it on the fire it starts squirming and screaming and then her mother just collapses again. And that's basically her mother, by not believing her daughter and believing the magic, she kills herself, doesn't she? Yeah. She doesn't side with her daughter. Like, yeah, yeah. Then she dies. While this is all going on, the doctor's giving euthanasia to the to the tortured man. Yeah. And then the doctor gets it.
1: Yeah. Gets shot in the back, doesn't
0: he? And it's a really, it's an interesting deaf because he's he stands up to him doesn't he? he stands up to the captain and says you know i i'm not like you i can't just blindly follow orders and then he walks out all smug yeah and then just gets shot in the back he, he keeps walking for a minute doesn't he and then he's like holds the bridge of his nose and the blood starts seeping into his shirt he just then collapses we are just t- describing the film again they aren't we <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i know i mean it's it's difficult because there are so many good bits in this film but you know all in all i thought it was a really enjoyable film yeah
0: yeah it was really good
1: the only thing i'm not the quickest reader so i'd need to watch a film like this a couple of times to fully appreciate the visual spectacle of the film so uh there, there were a lot of times where I wasn't enjoying the visual aspects because I was reading the subtitles.
0: Yeah. It's not just a visual treat. It's the sound in it as well. It's just brilliant, isn't it? And like, there's that horrible sound that's always around um, Vidal and his stooges. And it's, I, I'd imagine it's the lever in their boots, but it's always that creaking yeah. lever, And it's like, oh, it's just cringy. It's just horrible. That, grinding sort of you know there's a
1: rigidity to it isn't yeah
0: there? and it's uh and then also like i was saying about things echoing and things mirroring what's gone on earlier and i think like the scene after the frog uh it cuts to the trucks coming down the road with all the all the rations in yeah And the frog was making these weird sort of guttural noises. And as the truck comes down, you can hear that guttural noise, the same noise, the same sort of growl in the truck. Yeah, yeah. And it's like everything is mirrored in the reality to the fantasy. And it's like that truck is going to represent, you know, it's bringing those rations to him and he's going to keep those rations and starve the tree, the, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's in the same way, this frog was starving the tree, like yeah,
0: and he's going to starve the yeah the rebels in the woods and starve the town. Some really, it's just yeah, really great. There is a lot to read in it. I love a film where there is things to read and things you notice, and it's really great. And then once like the mother and the doctor had died, and then it's she's on her own, and Mercedes is like. She knows she's about to get caught out. So she's got to go. And it's like the big climax is there. And this is where you're thinking, right, is this magic? Is she going to pass these tests? And the the fawn's given her one more chance, isn't he? And wants the baby. So she's, she's locked in the room, but she's, he gives her the chalk. And even when Mercedes and the rebels turn up to rescue the girl, they can't find her uh, in, in the room, you know, and there's the chalk on the wall. So it's, Again, it suggests that it is all real, doesn't it? It is
1: yeah, yeah, two worlds. I was going to say that earlier on, actually, that sort of that's the only thing I could think of that is a true indication that it's really happening is how she managed to get out of that room. Yeah. Because there's no other way you could interpret it.
0: Yeah, and then it's the end. The two storylines end. One feels like a good ending and one feels like, oh, Shit, that happened. Yeah. Which you see at the beginning anyway, because the opening shot is of her with the blood receding into her, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: then in the end of this, the fawn, like, has asked for the baby, and he's like, oh, we need just a drop or two of innocent blood.
1: Yeah, he's holding that dagger in that real sinister way, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and she's like,
0: nope, you're not having him. You're not having my brother. And he's like, well, then you'll be mortal forever. Is that what you want? You would give up everything just for the, you know, a few drops of blood for your brother? And she's like, "Yeah." And with that, and with that, Vidal has followed her, and he comes round, and you see her talking to no one. Yes. Yeah, he takes the baby and then shoots her in the belly and just leaves her. You know, and you just think, no, she was promised that you she would be this princess, and now she's dead.
1: Yeah, and then yeah, you see her the blood trickling down her hand and dripping down into the labyrinth, didn't you? Yeah. And I'm like, she is
0: innocent. Exactly. She's been innocent in all of this. So you realise that it is
1: her blood. I think I think it's the only way... (laughs) To end the story.
0: Yeah, because
1: she's lost her mum, and she's basically, in theory, going to lose her brother because there's no way Vidal's going to want anything to do with her now that her mum's gone. No. You know, and you know that she's just going to live a horrendous life in the real world from that moment on. Yeah. I think it's almost kinder in in the terms of the story that it, that it's sealed up that way. But you know, you are given that glimmer of hope where she appears in front of her father, the King and her mother, the Queen in the underworld.
0: But um, the most satisfying ending is when Vidal goes around the corner and there's Mercedes and, I mean, she's she she got captured. There's that great scene where she's captured, isn't there, with the knife yeah. that she's been carrying this little knife around for the whole thing, tucking it in her top, and uh, she finally gets to use it when he ties her up, and he's going through the same rigmarole of the the torture, but with his back to her. Yeah. And she cuts herself out, out of with rope, stabs him, and puts it in his mouth, rips his mouth open. It's you know, and earlier on, she was saying that she was she's a, a coward. Yeah. She had more balls than a lot of her in that film, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a character you really come to respect.
0: You know, there was no cowardice in her whatsoever. She was doing what she had to to get supplies to them. She was, you know, the bravest thing she could do is live right under his nose, wasn't it? It was a ballsy move. But then, yeah, so Vidal, he's got the baby. He comes around the corner and there they all are, the rebels and Mercedes, and she sort of holds up her arms and he gives her the baby knows this is it he's done for but he's still not taking in that the bigger picture is he he's like he's just seeing what his life is and how what this baby is to him and he's like tell the baby that his father yeah she's like the baby's never gonna know your name and that, that shocks him it's like the only thing in the whole film that has shocked him he's like that full of his own self-importance and his own, he's that obsessed with his own self-mission. He didn't for a minute think yeah. that was going to happen. You know, he couldn't see their perspective. This baby doesn't need to know who you are. And then it's just that moment of shock, and he hasn't even got time to contemplate it before they shoot him in the head.
1: Which was the nicest possible thing they could have done. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was, it was that was the happy ending.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and you, you are so. Full of hatred for that man that you almost enjoy it, don't yeah. You? you
0: do enjoy it, you do just seeing that smile, that pompous, arrogant, self serving, self assured smile just wiped off his face. Yeah, it's great, a great ending. Yeah, so there we go, Nathan. Another film, the first film from our listeners. So that was a good one. Well done, thank you very much, Kat, for that. Um, like I say. If you lot want to suggest films for us to watch, go on to our Facebook page. It's been to the top. Give us your suggestions. Put
1: a little idea in there for a film that we can review. Nath. Trev.
0: Thanks ever so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I've had a wonderful time.
0: And, uh, yeah, we'll have a, another catch-up next week where we need to talk about movies. Chase, chase.